Well, welcome to church, everybody. I'm Brad Scott Johnson. We are looking at biblical principles on how to make personal change. And these are principles that anybody can use for any area of your life where you want that area of your life to be better. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you are sitting by somebody who needs an area of their life made better? Just go ahead and point or raise your hand, right? I mean, it's just the truth about all of us. It's absolutely the truth about all of us. You might need to change in your connection to God. You may need to change in your health. You might need a change in relationships, particularly if you just pointed to someone you're going to need a change. You might need to change in habits that are in your life. You might need to change a job within your career, or you might even need to change careers. Regardless of where you would like to see personal change in your life, a major change in your life, Today we're going to take on a category of change that absolutely has to be talked about. And it's the challenging changes we need to make. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like it's that part of your life that's been so hard and so stubborn and thus far it's resisted every one of your efforts to change that part of your life. And this is the stuff we don't like to talk about. This is the stuff you don't like about yourself. Most of this, you have tried to change, but it's still hanging around. And these aren't the issues you've had for a few weeks. You know that. You've had these, many of you, for years, for years. And you've tried to correct them. You've tried to reset them. You've tried to change them. I mean, how many of you have something in mind when I talk about this? How many of you have someone? No, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Let me ask you to consider two important questions. Why is it so hard to change the habitual parts of life that are chronic weaknesses? And then how can I change them? Like, is it even possible? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And then we'll be done. So we're going to jump right in. I'm going to give you four reasons why it's hard to make the challenging changes. Now, easy changes, I'm going to change my shirt. Easy changes, you know, I'm going to change what time I wake up in the morning. Those are easy. But why do we have trouble with the challenging changes? Here's the first one. Challenging changes are chronic. This means they're not acute. They didn't pop up in a moment, and then in the next moment they'll go away. No, these are the chronic changes problems. You've had these for a long, long time. You have lived with these for a long, long time. They're not new. They're not sudden. They're not short term. And you already know these are not easy to change. These got baked into your life. For some of you, these were established all the way back into your childhood. Like they've been around like chronic fear, being a chronic people pleaser having chronic low self-esteem. Some of your self-defeating patterns and behaviors were actually survival tactics that you had to create as a kid. You just developed them. It's the best you knew how. You were a child. You developed them to deal with the world around you. And over time, they became ingrained. You were a kid just trying to survive. I get that. I get that. But here's the point you have to hear. You're no longer a child. But the patterns that were established way back then are now a part of you. And they've become your default. And those patterns are no longer serving you. And you want to change and you've tried to change, 
but so far unsuccessfully. Here's the deal about stuff that's been around for a long time. It's the devil you know. It's the familiar. It's like that uncle that you really don't like, but he's still going to show up for the holidays and you just got to deal with him. Like, what are you going to do, right? You just know there he's going to be. But the problem, the problem is deep down, the old patterns are no longer serving you. The old stories that you tell yourself are no longer helpful. The old ways of thinking, the old ways of always reacting that way no longer serves you. But you don't know how to change it. I mean, it used to serve you to have a temper. That's probably how you dealt with somebody bullying you as a child. But now, as an adult with a temper, it's become a problem. It used to serve you to overspend because you needed the dopamine hit to deal with your depression. It became a coping mechanism. But now, as you want to get your spending under control... You don't know how. You used to cower in low self-esteem because that fit the family narrative. That's what people told you. And you wanted to stay invisible. But now you want to show up and you want to speak up and you want to love yourself. But you don't know how. Can you see if something is chronic, it's a challenge to change? How many of you are getting this? It's a problem. A second reason that it's hard to change the hard stuff is because my identity gets tied into my dysfunction. My identity gets tied into my dysfunction. Let's say it. My identity gets tied into a classic illustration of this is when someone is a victim and early in life that victim posture brought a lot of sympathy. It brought a lot of care. It brought a lot of protection. It brought a lot of attention. But as the years have worn on, people have stopped calling you back. And they've stopped listening to your sob story. And you stopped getting the attention that you once got as a victim. But you wonder, who will I be? How will I be if I'm not that? If I'm not like that, we get enmeshed in the identity of our dysfunction. And the fact is, the fact is, we often confuse our identity with our defects all the time. We'll say things like, I am. Now listen to me. Every time you say, I am, be very careful what you say next. You want to know why? Because you're listening. You're listening. And you're going to say something about your identity. So you say, well, I am a workaholic. Your identity just got connected to your dysfunction. I am passive, identity dysfunction. I am aggressive, identity dysfunction. I'm passive aggressive, identity dysfunction. I am timid. I am an overeater. I am just average. I can't do anything right. I am always late. I am always forgetful. I am always mean, unthoughtful, second rate. It's just like me to be unchosen. It's just like me to mess up. It's just like me to be screwed over. You see what we do? How many are with me? Yeah? 
It's how we see ourselves. And it becomes super glued to our identity. We can't see ourselves or think about ourselves without connecting it to this dysfunction. And you know the problem with this. When you see yourself in a certain way, what happens is you set yourself up for self-fulfilling prophecy. You say, I'm always nervous on planes. Guess what's going to happen next time you get on a plane? I never get the jobs I apply for. Do you want to know why? Because you walked in already defeated. You walked in with no confidence. You walked in with low vibrational energy. And that's just not attractive to an employer. And so you don't get picked. But subconsciously, you did that to yourself. And subconsciously, sometimes we fear, if I change, will I even still be me? Because I've been this way for a long time. I don't even know how to think of myself differently. Some things are hard to change because we've had them a long time. They're old habits. Some things are hard to change because we identify with them even when we know they're self-defeating. And then number three, challenging things are a challenge to change because of what we get from them, what I get from the things I need to change. Anytime you do something, there's a payoff. Anytime you do something, there's a payoff. And that's if you're doing something good, and it's also if you're doing something unhelpful, unhealthy, there's a payoff behind it. It might be an emotional payoff. It might be the dynamic that's created in a relationship. You might not even be aware of how it's feeding into you. It's the kid who acts up all the time because he'd rather have negative attention than no attention. Does that make sense? Listen. If he can't get approval, he'll settle for attention. That was worth the price of admission for a parent today. Right there. Or you're the life of the party when you're drunk. Watch out now. You love the attention you get because you are so funny. And check out your dance moves. Right? So every weekend, that's how you show up. And it's not because you want to be that. But you don't know how not to be that. And on the weekends, I get a payoff. It's the companionship of a random hookup. I'm not alone on Friday night. But you loathe yourself on Monday morning. But you just rinse and repeat. Somebody's getting something today. Somebody's going to be helped today. Listen, whatever gets rewarded gets, let's say it, whatever gets rewarded. So even if I'm doing something unhealthy, unhelpful, self-destructive, there's a payoff. And I better figure out what it is. I need to know what the payoff is because that's how I begin to fight the negative behavior. Here's the fourth reason, changing the tough stuff is really, really tough. My spiritual enemy keeps me from believing that I can change. We talked about our spiritual enemy last weekend. I hope you're here. That message is online. You really need to listen to that message. This is a spiritual dynamic about a spiritual personality that wants to keep you stuck and, if possible, even destroy your life. And one of the things he does 
He uses self-doubt. You're never going to change. I mean, who are you kidding? How many times have you tried to die? Come on. You're never going to change your marriage. How many hours have you spent with a therapist? You're never going to change that dynamic with your children. You're never going to change your level of career success. It's just not going to work. You might as well give up. You'll never live sober. You'll never experience financial freedom. That new business isn't going to get off the ground. You aren't that smart. It's too late. You're too old. You tracking with me, people? Where do you think all those thoughts come from? Parents. I was going to say the devil. Maybe the same thing. I, I don't know your parents. I'm not, not. Don't tell them I said that about them. We know it didn't come from God, though, right? That's not what God does. He builds us up. He doesn't break us down. And all of these are the reasons we have a hard time changing the challenging parts of us. Now, that's just all background. Now I'm going to get into my message. I hope you brought your lunch. I got a lot to say today. We're getting into this. The rest of today's training and coaching, I'm going to show you four biblical principles, four biblical principles that if you follow, if you're serious about changing the challenging parts of your life, I think these will help. Who looks in the mirror every day at someone who needs to learn this? Let me see. Right? We need to. The Word of God says this. First of all, you have to face the truth. You have to face the truth. Change always starts with truth. You can't have positive change and believe a negative lie. Do you hear that? You cannot have positive change in your life and believe a negative lie. Change always starts with the truth. But there are two parts to the truth. It's not just learning what's true. It's embracing the truth. Two parts. Learn the truth. Don't reject it. What's the opposite of rejection? Embrace it. Accept it. Admit it. Allow it into your life. Acknowledge it. Knowing it's just half the equation. You have to let that get in you. Learn the truth, then let it have its way in you. A lot of times we know the truth, but we reject the truth. The secret to personal change is knowing and accepting the truth about you. About God, about life, about problems, about your family, about your past, about your childhood, about who you have become. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Here's the first problem, though. (laughs) What if I don't want to do that? Like, what if I don't want to face the truth about me? See, Brad, let me explain to you something, Brad. I live in this beautiful land called denial. La, 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 la. Unicorns and glitter. And I ignore the cancer in my attitude. I ignore the cancer in my marriage. I ignore the cancer in my behavior. I ignore the cancer in my habits. But I'm happy. La, 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 la. Don't make me face it. Listen, denial could be your problem because you can't heal what you can't reveal. You have to be able to know the truth and embrace the truth. So why do we ignore obvious issues? Because 
the truth sometimes hurts. Sure, Brad, the truth sets you free, but first it might make you miserable. That's the truth. That's the truth. It's often painful at first to face the truth about ourselves. We'd rather just stay deluded. We'd rather just stay in our happy little mythical fairy tale land where everything's just copacetic. La, la, la. But inside you, while you have this facade for everybody else, I'm good. There's this gnawing little thing inside of you that's trying to speak. Let me tell you what that is. That's the truth. And God is trying to speak it to you. And God will send circumstances and God will send people because he wants you to know the truth. Because once you know the truth, the truth will set you free. People say to God's messenger, don't tell us the truth. Just say things that'll make us feel good. Things we want to hear. How many of you know what confirmation bias is? Have you know, you know the term? Have you heard? How many of you have heard the term confirmation bias? It's only allowing inside of us the parts of truth that fit with the narrative we want to believe. Let me say it again. Confirmation bias. Only allowing in the parts of the truth that fit with the narrative we want to believe. So if something contradicts what I want to believe, I'm not saying I'm believing the truth. It's just what I want to believe. Then I reject everything else because that's bumping up against what I've already determined I want to believe. Let me give an example. If you only listen to one news channel, you're doing this. Shut up, Pastor. You have your beliefs, and so you channel surf until somebody supports what you already believe, and you're already biased toward that conclusion, and you'll only listen to things that support that. Let me tell you what you're saying. I don't want to change. I don't want to learn. I don't want my neat little thought categories to be disrupted. This is called confirmation bias. If you have ever walked away from friends because what they've said contradicts what you have already determined you want to hear... You're living in la-la land. This is how we protect our denial. Look what Jesus said. I'm telling you the... Say it. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. So what is the truth about you? What is the truth about me? I'm going to tell you. We're all broken. We're all imperfect. We all have defects. We all have flaws. We all make mistakes. We all sin. What's the motto of our church? No perfect people allowed. When we claim that we haven't sinned, we're only fooling ourselves and we're refusing to accept This is the first part of change. 
I have to admit the problem. And the problem is me. The problem is in me. I can't blame anybody else. It's my pattern. That's the problem. It's my bad attitude that needs changing. It's my bad habit that needs to be broken. It's the ways I respond to people in my relationships that needs to get healthy. It's me. And when I see it, and I acknowledge it, I allow it to have its way in me, when I own the truth, I have taken a very important step toward change. This is why it's important to spend daily time with Jesus. If you're going to have change, you have to face the truth. And Jesus is called, guess what? The truth. It's Jesus. So if I study the life of Jesus, if I examine the teachings of Jesus, if I learn from Jesus, if I am trying to imitate the life of Jesus, that's like living with a mirror that reflects back to me the truth about me and it allows me to change. This idea of facing the truth is huge. We've got to keep moving. Number two, here's the second key principle that we're going to use. We're going to use this in this whole series. We talked about last weekend. We'll talk about it some more. Change that lasts follows changed thinking. Change thinking. If you want lasting change in your life, that's going to require you to think a new way. Now, I can't go into this as much as I want to because I did almost a whole message on it last weekend, but I need to reemphasize a key principle here. You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. Let me give you a minute to sit with that. The battle for change is won or lost in your mind. There must be spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. Where do our thoughts and attitudes exist? In the mind. And we need spiritual renewal in the mind. So here's how it works. I want you to follow this closely. What you think determines what you feel. You with me so far? Feelings start with a thought. Feelings don't start just all by themselves. All feelings are a response to a thought. What you think determines what you feel. Now, follow me. And what you feel determines the way you act. So, if you want to change the way you act, if you want to change your behavior, if you want to stop doing self-defeating stuff and start doing some good stuff, you have to change the way you feel because your feelings affect your actions. But the way you change the way you feel, you can't just say, well, I just won't feel that. It doesn't work that way. You have to go to the root of feelings, which is your thoughts. You have to change your thoughts. So you change the way you act by changing the way you feel, and you change the way you feel by changing the way you think. Let's say it together. You change the way you act by changing the way you feel, change the way you feel by changing the way you... Now there's a Bible word for this whole process, changing the way you think. And it's the word repentance. That's an old-fashioned Bible word, repentance. comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind. That's all repentance means. It's a mental U-turn. 
I used to think this way, and now I think differently. Why is that important? Because when you think differently, you feel differently. And if you feel differently, you act differently. Who's still with me? Let the same mind and attitude be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Mind and attitude. When you and I begin to put on the mind of Christ and we begin to think like Jesus thinks, we begin to see the world like Jesus does, we begin to look at our defects in a different light. Because we want to be like him, we see the difference, so we get to work on closing that gap. You with me? First principle, face the truth. Second principle, think differently. Number three, lasting change. I need a circle and I need a guide. I need a circle and I need a guide. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Lasting change requires the right people around you. Why do you think AA is successful? Because it's putting the right people in place around you. We need a community and we need a coach. We're not going to get well on our own. We're not going to get healthy, not, not in the biggest areas of our life, by ourselves. This is why I have a coaching practice. Because there was a time in my life I needed a guide, and now I guide people in the ways that I was guided. There's some things you're just never going to be able to change about your life on your own. There are some problems that are so big, so chronic, you're going to need to team tackle those. You, you know that phrase from football? Like the fullback is just, you know, he's like a, he's like a beast, man. One, one safety is not going to take him down. You're going to need two or three guys to hit that rascal. And the big problems of your life also need to be team tackled. You're going to need support. You're going to need the right circle. doesn't have to be a big circle, but you're going to need a circle of the right people around you. Bible says it this way. Put away all falsehoods. You're still talking about the truth. And tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Now, this doesn't mean your literal neighbor. You don't walk next door, knock on the door, and say, let me confess my greatest sin. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. Neighbor in this context is the person you're doing life with. Part of your circle. Now listen, if you're serious, about growing and changing and resetting your life. You're going to have to face your fears about being gut-level honest with a few people. you got to get past that. You don't need everybody to know. You don't need to share everything you're working on. But the moment you tell one person, you will feel instant power that you haven't experienced yet instant relief that you haven't experienced yet. Look at this wisdom. You will never succeed in life if you... We waste an enormous amount of time and energy trying to cover up stuff that other people see anyway. You think other people don't see your faults? 
Our biggest hurdle to holiness is our desire to look good. But if you're with the right circle, let me tell you what happens. These are the people who love you unconditionally. These are the people who are in your corner. These are the people who are cheering for you. They're not judging where you are. They are believing where you can be. I mean, these are good people. And so you can be real. And you can be authentic. How you're changing, what you're working on. And listen, they'll do the same thing with you. And you'll cheer them on. You need a circle. You need that right community around you. It's why we do church. But in addition to a circle, you need some coaching. Follow me on this. We always grow faster with a tutor. We always grow faster with a trainer. We always grow faster with a coach. There are two speeds to change. The first speed is I'll just do it on my own. I'll just figure it out. This is called trial and error. Some people figure it out that way, listen to me, eventually. But that's a slow, hard train. The other train, you accelerate change because you don't just have what you're learning. Now you're incorporating what your coach also knows. You've just doubled the learning. Does this make sense? Yeah? Every Olympic athlete still has a coach. Every pro basketball player still has a coach. Every pro baseball player, football player still has a coach. A coach helps you maximize your strengths, minimizes your weaknesses, and accelerates your growth. And when you go through the Bible, you just see this principle everywhere. Joshua... Famous Joshua had a coach. His coach's name was Moses. Elisha, a famous prophet, had a coach, another older prophet named Elijah. Solomon had a coach. It was his dad, David. David had a coach. It was a Hebrew prophet, Samuel. The 12 apostles had a coach. His name was Jesus. I could give you all kinds of examples of people who were mentored by, led by, coached by, somebody who was further along than them. This coaching structure is even baked into the structure of the church. God gifted some of us to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, but there's a reason for this. So that people could learn to serve and the body would grow strong and then we'll be mature, just like Jesus. We'll be completely like him, but it takes that structure. You need a circle? You need a coach. This is how you accelerate change. If you're serious about your life, if you're serious about working on the hard parts, the tough patterns, some of which, like I said, go all the way back to childhood, you need to get a coach. How did I come back from massive failure? Like I was an overachiever in failure. I didn't just go. I went hard and far. I didn't just break my life. I destroyed my life and the lives of people who are closest to me. Three suicide attempts. How do, you, how do you come back from, how do you build back from that? MasterCard. 
I didn't have any money. But I had a couple credit cards that still had a little space on them. And for two years, I barely missed a week with my therapist. He was my guide. He was my coach. He was in my ear. I listened to him. In addition to him, some of you know I have a mentor in my life, still have him in my life. He's 85 now, 84. Still in my life. And he was there at the same time. Somebody on my right side, somebody on my left side. In areas of my life where I'm learning and growing now, I actually have additional coaches in my life right now helping me accelerate my learning and my growth in areas where I need to grow. But Brad, isn't that expensive? Well, how expensive is it to not have a coach? How much is your time worth? How much is your future worth? Is a coach expensive? I guess it depends on where you value your happiness and your health. It depends on the future that you want to design and create. Who's still with me? All right, these are the principles for permanent lasting change. I have to face the truth. I have to think new thoughts. I need a community and coaching because you're never going to change those tough things about yourself by yourself. All right, one final point. Here's how we're going to change. The Holy Spirit, God's personal presence in our life. Changing the most challenging things is not something that you can do with just human energy. Only God can make some of the transformations that need to be made in life. You know, one of the problems with politics, the reason we don't get into it around here, is, is we become a culture that actually believes that legislators can do this. Like, like, we'll just make a law that we have to be better humans. Okay. No more prejudice. Well, there it went. It's gone. No more hate. Oh, wow. No more racism. Oh. Listen, no law is ever going to do that. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can do that. Only Jesus can turn a prejudiced person into someone who's not prejudiced. Only God can turn a hater into someone who loves. Here's what the Bible says. This is the word of the Lord. You will not succeed by your own strength or power. See, some of you, like this is where you've been living. I'll just try harder. This isn't about try harder. This is about trust more. Does that just make sense? Because it's not my strength. Like I, the things that I, listen, if you haven't changed it yet and you've tried, it's because you can't. You can't. But God can. God can. So not by my strength. Or power. I've tried. If I could have, I would have. But I couldn't, which means I can't. So I must need help beyond myself. And God says, pick me. Pick me. Because by His Spirit, we can succeed. This verse should probably be on somebody's bathroom mirror. 
cut this rascal out, tape it up. Put it on the steering wheel of your car. Because this one's a game changer. We can no more transform ourselves in the ways we need to than we can transform ourselves to be a tiger or a leopard. Our nature can only be changed by God. You can't transform your nature. You can't give yourself a new nature. This is why willpower is not enough. I need God's power for the biggest changes of my life. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. Not willpower, as we allow the very Spirit of God. This is how this works. I want to wrap this up by asking you this simple question. Simple question. How seriously do you want this? That's the only question you really need clarity on in this moment. How serious are you about finally dealing with some parts of your personality that disappoint you and likely disappoint everybody else around you? How serious are you about evicting fear out of your life? You've lived afraid too long. How serious are you about evicting worry out of your life that's actually physically killing you? Do you really want to get beyond your self-centeredness or your laziness or your excuse-making or your anger or your jealousy? Do you really want to change your life for the better? These four steps are a pretty darn good start. And here's some good news. Now, I actually think it's great news. You can begin right now by asking God to help you. So that's what we're going to do. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Here's what I want you to do. You say, Brad, I don't know how to pray. Yes, you do. Every time you've cried, that was a prayer. God heard it. Every time you just said, I'm, I, I'm, I, I, need, I need something, that was a prayer. So here's what I want you to do. In your own words, in your own words, just quietly, not out loud, but in your heart, just tell God you want to change. Like, be specific, name the thing, acknowledge your need for his help. Just kind of imagine opening your arms wide. And you invite his spirit to go to work on you. You say, you say Holy Spirit, show me what needs fixed. Reveal to me what you want to change. And then say, God, by your spirit, go to work changing me. And God, I'll cooperate with you. God, I'll cooperate with you. I want everybody right now to say that out loud. God, I'll cooperate with you. That may be the most important prayer you've ever prayed. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.